would you lead us through that? Our reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is the word of God for the people of God. Hey, thank you, Matt. Appreciate you. Um, hey, so we called this series uh, Everyday Christmas, and uh, we did that because we're looking at the Christmas story through uh, the lens of four rhythms that we think should be true of every follower of Jesus every single day of their lives. And today, the premise is very, very simple, and it's this. Every one of us in the room, you, you are meant for worship. You were born to be a worshiper. Worship is who you are. It is what you do. It is in your DNA. Every single one of us in this room worships someone or something, even if you don't consider yourself very spiritual or very religious. And in the case of the Magi, it is clear they had one thing on their mind uh, as they made their journey toward Jesus, and it was worship. It was worship. So how many of you remember being a small child on a long trip with your parents and the trip just seemed to take forever? Yeah. Parents, how many of you have made a long trip with your children and the trip just seemed to take forever? You couldn't wait to get out of the car. Yeah, way more unhappy parents here than unhappy children. Now, one of the fascinating facts of the Christmas story is this. Almost everybody in the story was traveling. I mean, look, uh, hardly anybody was home for Christmas. The angels left their home of heaven to announce Christ. Joseph and Mary left their home in Nazareth to travel to Bethlehem. And then you have the travelers that we're going to zero in on today. Now, these travelers are usually pictured this way in uh, Christmas cards and things. Sometimes they're called the three wise men, sometimes the three kings, sometimes magi, uh, meaning they were probably stargazers. Uh, and Matt just read their story. 
story, right? And we're going to zero in on just a few verses. But look at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east. No, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, there's a lot that we don't know about these men. But there are a few things that we do know. When did they come? Well, we know it was after Jesus was born, right? There's uh, some reason to believe this was actually a year after Jesus was born, uh, but we don't know that for sure. We're usually told in this story that there were three wise men, um, but the reality is we don't know how many, how many there were. There could have been three. There could have been 13. There could have been 1,300 for all that we know. But we do know that they came to Jerusalem, but we don't know how they got there for sure. Here, they're pictured on camels. They could have walked. They could have ridden horses. They could have ridden donkeys. We just don't no, right? And this leads to a question. You know, well, is there anything that we do know about these guys? And the answer is, well, yeah, there are three things that we do know for sure. First, we know a little bit about their journey, their journey. So, hey, I want to show you a map, and I whipped out my uh, handy-dandy uh, laser pointer. Years ago, I got so addicted to this when I was teaching that the staff actually took it away from me. They said, you're not allowed to teach with that anymore. It's kind of dangerous when it's in your hand. And so I'm going to use it up here to help. Well, that's not working at all. Okay, never mind. We're going to do this the old-fashioned way. So you see the little purple area right there by the Persian Gulf? That's, uh, at at least from there, that's uh, the the closest these men could have come. And I want you to notice the green crescent there that's actually called the Fertile Crescent. See, we know that those men would not have traveled through the desert. Like, see, you got to go up and around and back down to where the Jordan River is, where close to where Christ was was and see they wouldn't have gone straight across they would have taken that journey anybody want to guess how long that loop around to Jerusalem is it's about a thousand miles so if any of you have gone to Florida maybe Daytona Beach or someplace like that Daytona Beach is actually a little less than a thousand miles and it's arduous in a minivan right? Think about making that journey on horseback or on camelback or somewhere else, right? I mean, it would just be, uh, and so here's some some fun facts about that journey. So if it's a thousand miles, and let's just assume they rode camels. So we'll go back to our picture. So they rode camels. Now, if you Google it, Google's going to tell you that a camel can go 100 miles in one day. But that's like a marathon for a camel, right? If you're going to take a journey 25 miles, especially in a caravan of camels, 25 miles a day is about as good as you're going to be able to do. And so if uh, you divide that into 1,000, that's two weeks, right? 14 days. Or no, I'm sorry, that's 40 days. What am I thinking? You know, I do math a lot as a pastor. Uh, It's 40 days. 
uh, just one way, 40 days just to get there. Well, then you got to ask around, you got to mingle, you got to figure out where the Christ child is, you got to run your errands, and then it's 40 days back home. So here's what I'm telling you these guys canceled three months of their lives to do what they did. You want to know what that was? They canceled three months of their lives to bow down and worship. That's what they did. I mean, it was that important, right? Um, And so we know uh, as stargazers that they saw something. We don't know if it was a comet, an asteroid, a star, whatever it was, right? Something they saw in the sky that they weren't expecting to see that told them that the Messiah had been born. So they cancel that three months of their lives in order to get there. And so again, I already kind of gave this away but the the question becomes well what would be what could possibly be important enough for them to cancel three months of their lives to do I mean what did they go there there to do well look at verse two they asked where is the one who's been born king of the Jews we saw his star when it rose and we have come to what to worship him they canceled three months of their lives for worship to worship Christ and so now We know a couple of things about them, right? We know a little about their journey, uh, but we also know something about their worship as well. And I mean, as you work your way through the story, look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. So they worshiped as they bowed. In fact, the word worship means to bow down. And so uh, this is kind of an up, uh, they're up in their game. In other words, they bow down to bow down to worship, right? So it's like this is worship to the second power, worship kind of exaggerated. Um, and I love that. Now, why would they have to bow so low? Well, you have to bow pretty low to, to get lower than a one-year-old, right? You have to get pretty low to the ground to be able to do that. And the purpose in bowing like that was to say this. You are way up there, and I am way down here, right? Like, you are so, so big, but I, I am so, so small. Like, like you are exalted, but I am lowly. See, worship is always a way of saying, look, you're bigger than me. You're higher than me. Your ways are better than mine. And when we give ourselves away in that way, we are doing the thing we were created to do. And listen, worship is always the place that anyone's journey to Christ is meant to take them. In other words, Everyone's journey to him should be filled with worship, not just at Christmas time, but every single day. In fact, sometimes we use a name to reference Jesus. It's the word Lord. You know, the word Lord reminds us that, look, not only is Jesus here for us, but I am here for him. 
And it's in worship that I remember that or that God reminds me of that. And you go, okay, well, wait a minute. You're telling me these guys travel a thousand miles, they take a bow, and then they just go home? Well, not exactly. Because they came bringing gifts. And they didn't get these gifts at the dollar store. You couldn't even get these gifts at like Neiman Marcus. They were so valuable and so expensive. In fact, uh, that may be why oftentimes we kind of think it's three wise men because they brought, we know they brought three gifts, right? And it's kind of easy to picture each wise man carrying a different gift. But again, we'll never know. We'll never know. But we do know a little bit about what they brought. We're told, uh, after, we're told that after they bowed down, they offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, uh, gold in this case is probably a reference to gold coins, um, so th- those were probably coins. Frankincense was actually a very, very expensive incense that you would burn, and only the ultra-wealthy could afford it. This is why sometimes people assume that these men were uh, royalty or kings. But we know this, they were in the top one percenters. They were like one percenters of all the wealth in the entire world. We know that because of the gifts that they brought. And then myrrh was a very expensive oil that would sometimes be used maybe for cosmetics or perfume or even embalming um, if the person was wealthy enough to be able to afford that. In fact, when they would embalm a pharaoh or somebody in Egypt of uh, royalty, they would use, uh, one of the things they would use for that was myrrh. So what we know from these three gifts is that the men that brought them were influential. They were wealthy. And we know they traveled a great distance to bow down, right? And this kind of makes me think of the kind of gifts that we can bring to Jesus, you know? I mean, what I mean is there are things that we can place at God's disposal, our time, our treasures, our talents. And when we offer Jesus those things, what we're really offering Jesus is ourselves. You know, in other words, when you offer to God a little bit of your time or a little bit of your talent or a little bit of your treasure, what you're offering to God is a little bit of yourself. And that's what worship is meant to be. It's what it's supposed to be. Um, And here's what's so remarkable about the wise men and how their journey becomes so important to us. Because all of us have had to journey toward Christ. Every one of us. Now, some of us may be journeying with Christ today, right? But all of us, at one time, everybody in the room has a journey that, that started at some point in their life. Maybe it didn't take you three months. Maybe it took you years. Maybe it t- took you weeks. I don't know how your journey started, but I want to ask you a question. When did your journey toward Christ first begin? I mean, how did it get started? I mean, for some of us, we would say, well, maybe you're here and you'd go, well, it hasn't happened yet. 
Like, this is kind of new to me. I'm just, I'm just hearing it for the first time. And if that's you, we are so glad that you're here. We just want to level with you. We have been praying that you would have a change of mind and a change of heart right here in the seat that you're in this morning. But maybe that's you. Maybe you don't have a journey with Christ. You know, but for others of us, maybe you started with parents who just were faithful to talk to us about Christ. For others, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher or somebody in your church when you were growing up who uh, lifted Jesus up to you even when you were very, very small. You know, for others of us, we might say, well, man, I went to camp when I was in middle school, right, or high school, and somebody explained Jesus to me and how he, how he gave up his life for me. And, man, at that moment, I gave my heart to him. And, you know, we've been journeying together ever since. So, you know, when did your journey begin? My journey didn't begin until late in high school. I grew up completely unchurched, maybe like a lot of you. What I think is so fascinating is so many adults, their journey toward Christ doesn't begin until uh, they just enter into a real traumatic or a difficult or a really, really hard season of their lives. And maybe that's some of you. Maybe you resonate with that. I mean, you just came to a point where you got to the end of yourself and you said, man, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I, I need you with me. I need your help. I need you to uphold me. And maybe that's your story. I think that some of us might say, I know this was true for me, that our journey to Christ began when we bumped into some follower of Jesus that was just the real deal. Like, and they're attractive. And so you go, you know what? I'm not, just, I'm not so sure I can keep writing Jesus off as irrelevant anymore because look at what he's doing in her life. Look at what he's doing in his life, right? Maybe that's part of your story. You just met somebody who just oozed, you know, the person of Jesus. Um, you know, and, and maybe some of us are here, and at some point in our journey, we took a hard right or a hard left, and we got off the path of that journey. We, we just quit journeying. Maybe we got distracted, and maybe that was for weeks or months or maybe even years. And I just think, you know, today would be a, an amazing day to get back on that path, on that journey. I mean, no better day than Christmas Eve, you know, to do that. Because here's the truth, at the end of your journey, you're not going to find an infant like the wise men found. No, you're going to find the God of heaven and earth. You're going to find the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and you're going to find somebody that gave his life for you. And that's why some of us need to maybe start there, right? And here's something else that's so important about the, uh, the, the Magi. At the end of their journey, all that was left for them to do was worship. Friends, at the end of any of our journeys, when we're face-to-face with Christ, when we're journeying with Christ instead of to Christ, all that's left is worship. Worship. Worship His grace, His mercy, His loving kindness in your life. It's worship, and worship lifts our eyes up off of ourselves and our own small problems and onto Him and His ability to see us through. Now, um, I'm going to give you another reason why it's so important to be a worshiper of Jesus. Because if you worship anything else, 
It will eat you alive. Let me, let's tease that out a little bit together. Um, so, you know, you could, so worship happens when we take a good thing that God has given us and we make it the ultimate thing. So we take something good that God's given us and we try to lean into it for fulfillment, for all of our fulfillment, all of our significance, all of our satisfaction. And so that means that we can, we can worship anything, any good thing God gives us. It could be a relationship. It could be just the idea of romance. It could be sex. It could be money. It could be control. It could be power. I mean, it could be anything. Worship happens anytime we take a good thing and we make it the ultimate thing. And so let me give you some examples. Worship youth, worship appearance, and you will die a thousand deaths before they bury you. With every wrinkle, every year, as your body changes, you will die a thousand deaths. You worship money or power, you will never feel like you have enough money or power. You just won't. See, and you don't get to take any of that with you into the next life, right? You will, but you'll, when it comes to money, you will always feel that you're in a deficit. You worship drugs or alcohol, worship escapism, right? And try to find your ultimate fulfillment in those things. And they will make you all kinds of promises. And then they will turn around and trap you. And you do, it's kind of funny, right? Because you do those things to escape your problems. And then those things only make your problems worse you know i mean worship happiness right it's so fascinating to me that the most unhappy people in this world are the people that think the most about their own happiness see it because what happens is you pursue happiness but you can't quite catch it you can't quite take hold of it see 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 we we choose what we're going to worship and then those idols those things we worship they start to demand sacrifices from us you worship a relationship or another human being one day that human being is going to let you down they're going to disappoint you they may even betray you see this is what i mean when i say uh you know it's so important uh, what we direct our worship to is one of the most critical issues of your entire life. And that's why it's so important that we place our worship in, in, in Jesus who said, look, I'm faithful. I'm never going to leave. I'm never going to let you down. I can bear the weight of your life. I can bear the weight of your sin and your rebellion. I can do all that to bring you into a right relationship with God. And so here's what I want to do just in our, the few minutes that we have left together today. Some of you are here and you need to begin to journey with Christ right now this morning. Others of you, maybe you veered hard right or hard left this year or last year or the year before that. Well, listen, it's time to get back on track. It's time to, you know, get moving again towards him and begin to journey with him again. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you that opportunity right here, right now. I'm going to ask everybody to bow, bow their head, everybody to close their eyes. 
And um, if you're here and that reflects the desire of your heart, you can just repeat after me, Lord Jesus. I mean, you can just, just, you can use your inside voice if you want to. I need you. Thank you for dying for my sin. Would you come into my life and make me the person you want me to be? Thank you for new life. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Help me, Lord Jesus, worship only you. Only you. Only you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, here's a beautiful thing. When you and I, when we pray a prayer like that, 